0: Good evening, you know, whatever time of day it is that you're listening to this. I'm Dave Melton, one of the editors here at Second City Hockey, and welcome to another one of our Friday episodes here at the Second City Hockey Podcast. I don't know if you guys have noticed, but it's September now. Hockey season is not just a rumor anymore. It might be here real soon. There could be legitimate, real, actual hockey topics for us to discuss. I mean, look what's happened in the last few days. A bunch of Blackhawks prospects are heading up to Traverse City tonight for a prospects tournament. Yesterday, the Hawks announced their training camp schedule. That starts next Friday. The whole schedule, by the way, at SecondCityHockey.com. Feel free to check that out. So with all that in mind... We've returned to hockey as our topic on today's show, and we've got a really good guest for you guys today. It's Kat Silverman, a hockey reporter from The Athletic, from In Goal Magazine, a whole bunch of other places. One thing I did forget to mention while I was talking to her is she just did a really, really excellent deep dive into Sergei Bobrovsky, the goaltender who just signed with the Florida Panthers, and uh, discussed the different workout regimen he started using that really helped revitalize his career so definitely check that out after you listen to our conversation. Uh, goaltending is one of Cat's specialties although one of the things that we specifically discussed during our conversation is why she doesn't like being referred to as a goaltending expert even though I think we've done that about a dozen times at Second City Hockey but if you're curious about why she doesn't want to be referred to as a goaltending expert just stay tuned for a few more minutes and you'll find out. Thanks to Kat for joining me. Thanks to you for listening. And sit tight just another week or two. We're going to have some real hockey things to talk about here on the Second City Hockey Podcast Network. In the meantime, here is the interview with hockey reporter Kat Silverman. Well, Kat Silverman is here. Thank you so much for joining us. Uh, it's great to have you on the podcast. I know we've had you we've had you featured at our website several times. Just first off, how's uh, how things going out in Arizona these days?
1: It's it's funny that you say that. I um every summer I try to I try to escape Arizona because it's a little warm. A little and bit. And every year I try to come back. Like I try to time it so that I spend as little time as possible in the 115 degree heat. And this year I timed it just wrong. I left in early May so that I could go. Both of my brothers just graduated from college, got to go up to Chicago. One of them went to school in the Quad Cities. So we got to spend some okay. time there, spend some time in Madison, you know, in the cool weather. I was like, yeah, and escaping Arizona jokes on them. Got to go to Colorado for a goaltending week. Um, and while I was on those trips in May, I kept seeing all of my friends in Arizona posting on Facebook saying, it's so chilly. Wow. <laughs> I can't believe it's so cold here right now. sixties. Oh, I can't believe it. It's usually in the hundreds by now. And I was like, oh, well maybe it's going to be a mild summer, but it just, like, it just got delayed. So I showed up on August 19th and it has been 110 or above Everyday since.
0: <laughs> oh my goodness!
1: So That's, I like very severely miscalculated this year. This is I, this is God punishing me for trying to escape the natural cycle of the Arizona seasons. He's like jokes on you. I'll make sure you get them all.
0: I I, I know some snowbirds that flood the Chicago area went to Arizona, and actually I was out there in September one year. And during the day, I think it got up to a hundred. You know, they talk about it being a dry heat, and I get what that means now because if you go in the shade, like if you go in the shade in the Chicago area where the humidity is, you can't get relief in the shade, but you go in the shade down there and it's like, it's legitimately 20, (laughs) 25 degrees cooler. But I, while I was there, I went to a Diamondbacks game. We left, it was 1030 at night and it was still 95 degrees. And I don't care how dry the heat is at 1030 at night. It's not supposed to be 95 degrees.
1: Yeah. My first, uh, I moved here in 2015 uh, for the Coyotes actually. And um, my first summer here, I was obviously like, I was this massive baby about the heat. You know, I, yeah. I'm from, I was born in Baltimore. I lived in New York, lived in Houston for a while. And I thought that was too hot. And it was like 20 degrees cooler in Houston. So I told myself, like I stayed inside all summer and <laughs> I didn't even attempt to go outside. So I didn't learn about the true nature of like the shade and the dry heat, cause I was a hermit. <laughs> and oh, so I tried checking my mail only at like midnight. And was given this super rude awakening when I went out to check it at midnight one night and it was still 109 out. Oh, I was like, what is going 109 on? at midnight? Yeah, but uh, the next year I like I finally decided to suck it up and it's like you said, when you go in the shade, it's not that bad and sweat works correctly in the dry <laughs> heat. Like that's really the big thing is you know your your shape your sweat like actually evaporates and that's what your body is supposed to do so, <laughs> oh yes that it, that's a mad. very
0: big difference too I have I have as heard that from the snowbirds <laughs> I know in Arizona too
1: like as long as you wear loose clothing and light clothing like don't wear jeans but if you're wearing shorts and like a loose light t-shirt or tank top you can stay cool when it's 115 degrees out because your sweat works properly it doesn't I
0: will' you, so. I'll, I'll take your word for it <laughs> <laughs> But we're, but we brought you on the podcast, we, we appreciate your weather input, but, but that's not why you're here. Um, and as, as everybody that every time we reference you on the website, we always refer to Kat as our goaltending expert. And I wanted to ask you specifically, what is it that makes one a goaltending expert? What is it? How did you become interested in this position? Um, and, and just what led to you becoming so uh, interested and knowledgeable about being a hockey goaltender?
1: You uh, You ask what it takes to make someone enough an, an expert. I'm still kind of not sure. Um, <laughs> okay. Been, well, I mean I've been, to, I've been trying to convince people not to not to use that term with me. <laughs>
0: okay. all right, well, then I will it's funny I, though, I'll go back I, and edit that out afterwards. Oh
1: no, no no, it's, it's <laughs> funny though I uh, you You hear people called experts for anything, and I think with goaltending in particular, really the only qualification to be an expert is knowing what you don't know and knowing who can fill in the gaps in your knowledge at any given point in time. So knowing who's more up to date on certain areas of the game, knowing who's seen a player play more with goaltending and being able to talk to them and not assuming that you know more than you do because goaltending is it's so Reliant on so many different factors, it's reliant on the team around you, it's reliant on how conditioned you are, how healthy you are, it's how fatigued you are. I mean, that's a huge part of it is the fatigue level for these guys. So, really, just knowing what you do know about a player and what you don't, like knowing what his starts have been like, knowing what the defense in front of him is. And if you don't know it, knowing someone who does is really the only thing that you, it, I think that's the most important thing when it comes to to describing goalies. And that's, that's how you can make yourself sound smarter than you are because I'm, I'm certainly not the smartest person out there when it comes to goaltending or anything. Ask my daughter. <laughs>
0: <laughs> of course, of course. They're, they're the most brutal, brutally honest people in the world.
1: But, exactly. But how,
0: but how did it all begin for you? Like, did you? I, I, I know you played goaltender at some point, correct?
1: Yes, and uh, when I was in college, I I played pretty much any sport other than soccer. Okay. if you and I guess I didn't play taco football either um okay. pretty much any other sport that a kid can be signed up for to pardon my friend to get them to calm the heck down
0: um <laughs> that's okay we're we're, we're we're uncensored on this podcast you can say whatever Ooh,
1: perfect <laughs> pretty much anything that that you know could calm a kid down my parents put me in at some point so I I played hockey. I played baseball. Um, I played basketball. Ran cross country. Ran track. Did tennis, swimming. Tried gymnastics, very unsuccessfully, I might add. <laughs> um, I I was on swim team for ten years. You know, I I did pretty much every sport. And then when I got to college, I discovered my new favorite sport, which was partying. And uh, as as of, you
0: do in college,
1: exactly. And kind of stopped doing as many sports and stopped really I played intramural sports but didn't really didn't do a ton to stay active and that lasted like a year before I realized that I really missed it I missed Mm -hmm. doing like being active I missed it and so I got back into got back into running and got back into hockey because a couple of the kids that I I went to college in New York so obviously you know half of us there were massive hockey fans and the others were massive basketball fans. And I went to St. John's, they had a terrible basketball team. So (laughs) you, you joined the happier group of sports fans, which was hockey. And so, you know, I, I got back into playing hockey, got back into watching hockey, got back into really being invested in a sport that my family had been involved in. Uh, my mom's from Scarborough. She's from Toronto. Uh, my family's been Leaf spans for generations. I am I'm the sole deviant on my mom's side in that respect. But uh
0: Oh yeah, that that must lead to some some major confrontations in the family.
1: As long as I like their goalies, they're, they're okay. Canadians. They're happy people. So as long That's as I like the true. goalies, they're pretty nice. <laughs> but but yeah, so I, I got back into it and one of the kids that I had been, you know, playing with and watching games with said you know you're you're talking about the goalies more than you're watching the game if you wrote this down maybe you would have a job right now and and i ended up writing i ended up writing a thesis paper while i was still in college on the lockout because that was while i was in school and
0: had good times
1: Oh yeah. Oh yeah. That, that really is kind of what shaped it for me is I ended up writing the paper on the economics of the lockout and on sort of how that was impacting the league. Decided to keep writing about the game after I graduated and didn't really know what else I wanted to do and figured out that I was much better at writing about it than I had been at playing it. So I kept writing, uh, got into youth coaching just to keep myself active, ended up coaching with the Coyotes Hockey Development Program when I moved out here and yeah, here we are now.
0: And as, as you started getting involved with coaching youth hockey, like this, this is where you started to meet other people within the goaltending community, right?
1: Correct. I, I'd already known, you know, a few, a few other players, but really growing up, I certainly didn't have any of the coaching and experience that uh, the kids are getting nowadays. Uh, being able to have a goalie coach if you were not planning on going all the way was very much considered a privilege at that point. And so so yeah I didn't really even think about goaltending coaching until I started getting into the youth development stuff and that's that's when I realized that more and more kids were using goaltending specific coaching at this age and started looking at how that was being done and and yeah that's that's kind of how I ended up getting into that side of it so it's been about six years now since i started doing that and okay. that sounds that sounds like a really long time i feel <laughs> like I, so I, it, it truly it feels like it hasn't been that long because um, there's like i said there's so much still that i don't know and there's mm-hmm. still so much out there to learn when it comes to goaltending and when it comes to coaching today's episode is brought to you by cars.com
0: We sorry to cut you off there, but we had because we had this conversation last week when I was talking with Lester Wolfong about the Chicago Bears. We were talking about football, and we we had, we briefly touched on how, and I think the only two positions in sports that are so unique and different that you could really have a specialized coach because it's so different from everything else that you do in that sport is a quarterback in football and a goaltender in hockey. So I don't even know how you could coach a youth hockey team, and you have you know. 15, 18 skaters, and then one or two goalies, and they would have totally different practice sessions. So I don't even know how you approach that. Is there something like, is is that even possible to be able to coach a youth hockey team without having like a separate goalie coach? Now,
1: I think the biggest part of it is I, and obviously every kid's path is different. Some kids, you know, they they beg for goalie pads from the time they're four, and I'm I'm not going to tell parents, you know, don't let your kid become a goalie until <laughs> a certain age, but I do think that it's more important for teams to let every kid try being in that at an early age. So on a youth hockey team, I don't think you necessarily need a goalie coach at a young age for a team. No. I think you need it for like clinics and camps, having somebody who's standing with the goalies, making sure that they're not, you know, trying to be Jonathan quick and pulling muscles or, <laughs> you know, being, being, trying, trying to stop pucks with their heads. So you, we're you, yeah. you a kid try to do that. So, <laughs> I, I really do think that at the younger age, having someone there at the clinics and at the camps over the summers is hugely important. You know, just have someone show the kids how to get the gear on correctly, show them what they shouldn't be doing. Like I said, don't don't try and stop the pop of your head if you can help it. Uh, <laughs> give them basic hand positioning. Tell them what they, from a mental standpoint... Tell them to relax and have fun with it. Don't try and look like you're being a professional goalie. Just just try and stop the puck and have fun. But when it comes to actual teams, I still think that when it comes to the kids, up until you're about 8 or 10, I don't think you need to have one or two kids specifically playing goalie for you. I think every kid on the team who wants to try it should be allowed to try it. And if that means that everybody rotates until you're 9 or 10, let them rotate, That's, you know, let every kid try because it gives everyone a better perspective, too. You know, if you've played goalie for your team five or six times when you were younger, you understand how the pacing's a little different, how the timing's a little different, how the approaches look different when you're in net versus when you're one of the skaters. So the biggest thing when it comes to youth hockey is making sure that every kid understands what's happening for the goalie. Um, but I don't think you necessarily need someone to be, and I think that's kind of the case for football too. I think you don't necessarily need to have kids boxed into being a quarterback until they're older too, because everyone should be able to give it a shot. I know some kids, you know, their parents think that they're going to be the next Corey Crawford when they're seven and uh, spend 12, 1200 bucks on pads for them. But I don't think that should be the norm at all.
0: Well, you I think that's the biggest hurdle right there you talked about, because not every set of parents can drop twelve hundred bucks on goalie equipment for their kids. So maybe I think like I like the idea you mentioned there with somehow if we had like just like team goalie equipment, like I don't know how well it would fit every kid because every kid's differently sized with you know their their height and their head size for helmets and whatnot. But it seems like having like a rotating cast of goalies, and like you said, just giving every kid an exposure to that position. I get them it's started funny. at a very young age. It'd be a huge development for them.
1: It's funny you say that. Um, over in Finland in particular, teams do own the goalie equipment up to. A oh certain really? Time. Okay. Yeah. And kids are allowed because they want to make sure that it's the responsibility of the team to provide <laughs> for the goaltender, not the richest parents. That and
0: is such an interesting concept. I
1: When it comes to the masks, Because that's the biggest thing is the pads. Your pad can be a little bit longer, a little bit shorter. Right. That's not going to make a huge difference, especially at the younger age, because very few kids are going to be able to lift the puck off the ice. Very few.
0: Okay. Okay. So really
1: the biggest thing is making sure that you have a helmet that fits and you can use a skater helmet at that age. You don't need to have, you know, Corey Crawford's mask you don't need to be dropping that much money on a mask at that age once you reach you know if you're and for some nine and ten year olds you know they're talented enough that they're playing on a good enough team that yeah they do probably need to invest in a mask because the shots are going to be harder but for most kids especially if you're just playing house league and you're just having fun you're not going to be facing shots that are hitting you in the head so as long as you're wearing adequate protection which is a skater helmet that fits you properly which every kid should have on the team anyway you should be in business
0: so, yeah just just slap a full cage on it and they're good to go
1: yeah and so and so that's really that's the biggest thing is uh is making sure that there's available pads and obviously like you said it's not going to fit every kid the same there are some kids that are uh is it Andy Reid who was like a foot taller than yes. the other kids?
0: Yes, so that punt pass and kick video? I always yes, crack up when I see it. It.
1: so you know obviously there are going to be a few kids that are like that
0: a few um, bishops
1: and those generally the equipment should be owned by the rink not by the specific team so you just borrow the equipment for the next age group up or maybe the next two or three age groups up, depending yeah. on the kid but you just, you know, because you won't have more than one team playing on a sheet of ice at a time. So
0: mm.
1: in theory, you should be able to, teams really should be able to make that work. And, and there are some organizations that do that. Like I said, that's, that's common practice over in Finland. Uh, I believe there are a few other countries that have been trying it out. I think the U.S. should maybe try it more. I would, yeah it's,
0: it sounds like it's it seems like in, it sounds like in theory a very good idea and something that makes a lot of sense to do but that doesn't necessarily mean it happens so
1: yeah it's and and part of it is I mean when you ask a lot of kids why they got into goaltending myself included it's either because you were not a good skater so you were stuck in net because you couldn't keep up or because you really liked the equipment and so it's very hard to tell a kid you know hey I know you love the equipment, but you can't pick your own. You have to use what what's being used at the rink, especially since the skaters, you know, sometimes get to pick their own sticks and the sticks sometimes have cool colors. And, <laughs> you know, if you have an older sibling who's getting new goalie gear, it can, but that's, that's part of, I think that's part of parenting is telling your kid when you have 1200 bucks to drop on a new set of custom Brian's, you can do it. <laughs>
0: there you go. There you go. But, oh. but yeah,
1: I think, uh, that's really, for me, on the, on the youth hockey side, I think that's the biggest thing is is giving every kid an opportunity to try and making sure that somebody is at least able to recognize when they're doing something unsafe in that, which does happen sometimes.
0: Right, right. So, I guess shifting more to, I guess, the adult side of hockey. That sounds dirty. <laughs> Sorry. Oops. Uh, it's, it's all right. We're, we're recording after dark. It's fine. Even you've been, you've been like studying watching goalies, writing about goalies for first so many years and I was there. is there a certain commonality you've noticed about successful goalies, something that they seem to do common ground that they all share that makes them a good goalie like i don't know if there's like a secret formula, but is there something that every successful goalie seems like they are able to do that makes them successful at the n h l level
1: i think it's self awareness because obviously i mean. They'll tell you they don't, but every coach, every analyst, every goaltender has a preferred style that they think is the most conducive to success, Mm -hmm. and that inherent bias will give them a preference, and for me, it's, I prefer when goaltenders stay a little bit deeper in the blue paint. So, not Jonathan Quick? Yeah, and I prefer when they stop on their edges a little crisper. So once again, non-tossing quick. Um, I'm I'm not a huge fan of his style, but he's clearly able to make it work at the NHL level. And right. it's awareness on his part. He understands that the way he understands the way he plays. He understands what his weaknesses are and he understands how to adapt to those. Whereas other guys, you know, may not play the same way he does, but they may also not understand where their weaknesses are. Like, if you look at Jonathan Quick versus Corey Crawford, Corey Crawford is not quite as agile, he's not quite as smooth, and he's not quite as powerful with his lower body. He's calmer, he's better positioned, but he's not able to make those desperation saves with as much power and finesse as Jonathan Quick sometimes does. You know, he he can put himself in the splits and do a crossword puzzle. I don't (laughs) think Corey Crawford can do that. Most of us can't do that. Right. And knowing that limitation, he adjusts the way that he plays desperation saves. And so that's really, to me, that's the biggest thing is the goalies that you see that do well are the ones who adapt to what they don't do as well. And that's, that's really the only common ground there.
0: It seems like it goes back to the initial thing you were saying is that they, they understand what they don't know. Like, they understand what they can't do. Like you were saying, like Corey Crawford understands he can't be 15 feet on top of his crease, doing the splits, making crazy saves like Jonathan Quick can. So he, he doesn't have the body type, the athletic ability to do that. So he's not that kind of goalie. So it seems like that's kind of the similar thing that that's what makes up a good goalie
1: part of it is also understanding what you can improve on and understanding what you maybe need to improve around too and that's you know there are some guys who their tracking is able to be improved upon and we see it and then there are other guys who I think will never quite have the same the same tracking ability as others and not finding a way to adapt around it, not finding a way to improve around that, can be a weakness too. So, okay. But yeah, I I, I used to give my my personal preference on what I thought made a goaltender the most successful, which is being Henrik Lundqvist. Um,
0: That's that'll help. That that usually helps a lot.
1: It does help, but uh,
0: I would say being you know, Corey Crawford, but I guess I'm slightly biased.
1: Corey Crawford is also excellent. He's not Henrik Lundqvist. Fair. That's gonna make that's gonna make a lot of people.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, which I'm fine with because there's 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 two trophies that Corey Crawford has that Hunter Gomez does not. <laughs> it's for another discussion another day.
1: I'm totally oh, making me sad. <laughs>
0: <laughs> that's gonna be the headline. Cor, uh Cat Silverman trashes Corey Crawford in Second City Hockey podcast. Got it.
1: Oh. Oh man. After all the, all, after all the work I did defending him too.
0: (laughs) Right. Yeah. I will. Under the bus. Yeah. Uh, I I think there's been, there's been a lot of defending of Corey Crawford that's happened, which felt like it was unnecessary because it shouldn't have had to be done because he's been steady. Well, we can talk about this for hours, but I don't, I don't want to. That's
1: kind of the case with, and it's (laughs) funny you say that because I think it does go back to that whole stylistic preference thing. I feel like I have to fight people on Corey Crawford and Henrik Lundqvist, like you said, far more than should be, even logical. <laughs> sometimes I feel like, like when you see a GIF of someone standing in like a crowd of angry people and they're just like thrashing their arms in every direction, trying to fight off the crazies. Like that's how it feels sometimes, because uh. <laughs> there are a lot of people that really don't like Corey Crawford and a lot of people that really don't like Henrik Lundqvist. And I didn't think those existed before I, I, I ended up on Twitter. <laughs> that's,
0: and I, 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 feel like with, and then this is going to, this was probably going to come, come across as bad, but I feel like there's with the Blackhawks got so good, so fast in the last decade that a lot of fans jump into the sport and it's, it's easy and when you don't know that you don't understand something, then the goaltender position is very complex. I don't know a thing about it, but just based on results, I can tell you that Corey Crawford is a good goalie. But if you were someone that was very new to the sport and you saw goals go in and you didn't understand that it was the defensive breakdown that led to the goal, not the goaltender's fault, you could could reasonably deduce in your mind that the goaltender's no good when it's actually the defenders that are no good, and I think that's what Corey Crawford has been victimized by at some points in his career.
1: And by some points in his career, you mean the last two years, right?
0: Well, yeah, yeah, the last not years.
1: To, not to be unkind to Connor Murphy, but
0: <laughs> oh, for yes, former that's, Arizona. That's Ki- of course, you go to the former Arizona Coyote. Of course, you would
1: go to the um, guy who can't stay on his skates, man. <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh, we, 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 we. We'll- We'll get into Connor Murphy in a few weeks when we get to preseason we're all talking about the Blackhawks defense, which may or may not exist this year. We don't, know. we don't know.
1: It may end up being all right. That's my hot take. That's, you can write that down. I think the Blackhawks defense will not be awful this year.
0: Moving on. Speaking of Corey Crawford, one of the uh, people that was very involved in his development – and, and still heavily involved in the development of Blackhawks goaltending coaches is Peter Aubrey, who is the developmental goaltending coach for the Blackhawks since 2015. I guess he may not have made Corey Crawford into who he was. I guess he's more involved with the Colin Delias and Kevin Lincoln's of the world. But I know that's someone that you have grown, gotten to know over your uh, career and uh, involvement in the goaltending world. So I guess is there, what can you tell us about Peter Aubrey? And why does he seem like he has a knack for being able to develop goalies?
1: It's going to sound like I'm carrying water for him um
0: that's I fine We're, he, well, this is a Blackhawks <laughs> podcast. carry all the water you want
1: I, I try to be as objective as possible you know I try not to because I feel like if I become too too water carry your ish, that's not a word um yeah, then enough. i become then I become Jim Matheson from Edmonton, and that's that's not where I'm looking <laughs> Ooh, to that's so, fired. Um, <laughs> Um, he doesn't know how to work podcast anyway. It's so fine. Um, True, but I I can't say it strongly enough. Peter Aubrey's one of the nicest people in hockey. He's truly one of the nicest people I've ever met in my life. He and that both goes towards the what is he like and towards how the how he's such a good development coach because okay. he genuinely cares about the success of his guys and not just on paper. But like when it comes to their comfort levels, I remember we uh, we met for lunch one time, I think it was maybe last season, maybe the season prior, and just asking him about, you know, the team, the goalies, asking, and I asked him about Delia and how he was doing with the team, and and he said that he was doing really well and that he had a really unflappable personality, which was good because he... Really wanted to. He he was like, I feel like I'm constantly listening to make sure that nobody says anything mean about him, because he's so pure.
0: <laughs> and
1: <laughs> he brought up the fact that Delia like rides up to prac like he rode up to practice one time on this beach cruiser, and at first he described it as just a bike. He was like, Yeah, I rode up on his bike, and I was like, Is that allowed? Thinking that he rode up on like a Harley or something, and he said, What do you mean? Is it allowed? I was like, Are they allowed to? riding motorcycles to practice like is that doesn't that go against like the safety contracts and he was like no 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 he he wore he rode a beach cruiser like one of those big old-fashioned beach cruisers Just biggest grin in the world and he was like man i just really wanted to make sure that nobody made fun of him for it because he was so happy about it <laughs> and he said he was like he sits there on the bus and crafts he's like making baskets or wallets or something and like i just Sincerely, like, I'll do anything to make sure that nobody makes fun of him. And obviously, like, I kept that story to myself. And now Colin has created his own crafting company. <laughs> which right. makes wallets All the time. So I think it's OK to say it. But like the fact that Aubrey recognized that he was like, this guy is not your stereotypical hockey player. He's crafting and he's riding a beach cruiser to practice. And I want to protect that. He didn't, you know, just he didn't tell him to toughen up or try and get him to fit into the box. He was like, I want this guy to stay the way he is, and I want him to feel happy and comfortable being that way, while he was also trying to keep him happy and comfortable on the ice with his game. And I think that that's what it takes to be a good development coach: is caring about your players as the people that they are, not just as people and not just as players. And I think that's, I think we don't talk about that enough when it comes to coaching
0: yes and there's a an article in the Chicago Sun Times that Ben Pope wrote within I think it came out last weekend but he talked about it was all about Peter Aubrey and there's a quote here from Colin Delia that backs up exactly what you were talking about Delia said he's more than just a coach he really cares about the human aspects of goaltenders he's very in touch with the nuances of the game but he's very aware of what we're going through mentally and physically he really nurtures the human side of the position and I think like you were saying that seems like it's that it's the like the very old school coaches and um why I I wouldn't say Quinville because Quinville was more wasn't as old school I think as people made him out to be but the old school style of coaching is that you only care about the results on the ice and you're not care about the person but it seems like Aubrey would be the opposite of that um and and he's because of that that's why Colin Dealey and Kevin Lincoln have been so successful and I'm sure he's got plenty of other success stories in his past that you can talk about but is that do you see that becoming more of a thing in hockey where they're more concerned about the person along with the hockey player? Because it seems like for the last however long hockey's existed, that hasn't been the case.
1: I think so, particularly with goaltending. And I say this with no, no offense to Patrick Waugh's career. I think we really need to look no farther than his success record as a coach which is not particularly great. No, it is not. Um, and some of the interviews that his goaltenders gave after the fact, particularly Louis Duming, who was with Arizona for a while. Um, he gave an interview, or I guess it wasn't even an interview. I think he tweeted it and left those tweets up. I think they still exist. Where <laughs> he, after, it was like after he'd gotten pulled in a playoff game or after they'd lost a playoff game when he was, Patrick Law was his QMJHL coach, and they lost to Nathan McKinnon's team, which is understandable. It's Nathan McKinnon. And, uh yes, he's very good. The way that Louis Deming, he was a little harsh about it. I think he described him as the worst person he'd ever met. Um, but mm. he said that he was just constantly putting him down and constantly criticizing him and that he'd been excited to play for this Hall of Fame goaltender, and all he ever got was ways that he could be better on the ice and what could have been construed as tough love, but really just kind of sounded like bullying,
0: mm-hmm. you know,
1: when you look back on it and, and Domingue was clearly very unhappy with it. And he said that it stunted his developments and that it made an impact on him. And another player who had played under WA responded on Twitter and said, definitely he was not the easiest play. He was not the easiest coach to play for. And I think that that really just sort of highlights that particularly when it comes to the goalies, You do need to nurture both sides. You need to make sure that the goaltender is in a good headspace. And that's not even saying that goalies are mentally soft. It's just saying that there's such a slim margin of error. You know, the difference between allowing two goals and allowing three is a win and a loss. At the very least, we'll be seeing it in goaltending coaching as those goalie coaches start moving into assistant coaching roles and start really fleshing out the coaching staffs. Start coming on as development directors at some point. I think we'll be seeing it more frequently.
0: Well, I wanted to ask you quickly to talk about the Blackhawks goaltending position for the upcoming season. Obviously, the uh, the number one and number two, well, I guess it could be one and one, one A at this point, but it's Corey Crawford and Robin Lehner. Um, if we go, if we take injuries out of it and just go strictly based off performance. Do you see Corey Crawford staying as the number one goalie with the Blackhawks this year, or do you think Leonard becomes the number one guy or more of a platoon situation? What do you I, see?
1: So I kind of don't think we need to see a number one. Um, okay. If you look at – so obviously Andre Vasilevsky won the Vezina this past year mm-hmm. over Robin Leonard and Ben Bishop. But if you look at the other two, Bishop and Leonard they were given Vezina nods while playing in a pure tandem situation, neither of them was the starter for their team. They didn't even hit 50 games. And that's, I don't think that's a bad thing. I think that there's a reason that the Islanders ended up doing so well in the playoffs. And I think that there's a reason that the Bruins made it so far and that the Blues made it so far. Apologies to the Blackhawks fans, that I'm the Blues. Um,
0: I still if, forget that happened.
1: You look at what Jake Allen and... Jordan Bennington, obviously, there was some situational frequency, like in terms of who played stretches of games. But, you know, Jordan Bennington was playing well, and they didn't just play him every game to the end of the season. They still gave Jake Allen games in there, and not just the back-to-backs. They gave Jordan Bennington ample rest. The Bruins, up until the last, like, three or four games of the season, when they were trying, I think that they were trying to make sure that they secured home ice advantage. They had, I think that uh, Tuco Rask and Yaroslav Halak had like two minute, uh, like a two minute difference in their game splits. Like they had played the exact same number of games and one of them had played two additional minutes because like one of them had gotten like pulled for the empty net at the end of a game. And so that was really the only difference. And that's obviously, you know, it it ended up becoming a little bit more disparate at the end of the year. And obviously Rask carried them through the playoffs, which is you know, the playoffs are a different beast, but he was well-rested. And Robin Lehner was well-rested because they played Thomas Grace. And Philip Grubauer was well-rested because they played Semyon Barlamov. And I know that the Coyotes have gone on record with me. Um, not to plug my own work. but <laughs> they, they did,
0: they, Go for it.
1: Corey Schwab did go on record with me this summer when I called him to, uh, to say that their goal is not to make Darcy Kemper and Antti Ranta battle for the number one job, but to have two starting caliber goaltenders. He said it's no longer about having a goaltender that can win you games and a goaltender that can relieve him. It's about having two goaltenders that can win you games. And I think that that's really, obviously I haven't talked to Stan Bowman, so I don't know, but I think that that's what they're going for. With Crawford and Lehner, and obviously the health is a massive question mark, kind of for both of them. You know, we still don't know how Robin Lehner is going to do in a new city, in a new situation. And Corey Crawford, we don't know how long the duct tape will hold, but in theory, (laughs) you know, I like Crawford, you know, I love Crawford, but I, I do think that there's, with health permitting, I don't think that they necessarily need to declare one of them a starter because two guys were given bezin and nods last year without being declared a starter. It's about performance and and workload now. And so that's – it's a boring answer. You know, I'm sure people want the spicy take about the starter, but uh, I I do think that it works better to do it like that.
0: We'd we'd rather have the more nuanced answer here at Second City Hockey. I don't care what Brad says.
1: (laughs) Uh, That's a shot fired.
0: So to uh, bring this in for a landing here at the end, I, I had on the, the bottom of my notes here to discuss music things with you, although we're we're running out of time a little bit here. So I guess really quickly I would ask you, if you could pick a song that you could take onto the ice or lead your team onto the ice with, what would that song be?
1: Oh, wow, you're putting me on the spot. Well,
0: <laughs> I'll give you two options. You can either pick the song when you're the goalie skating out on the ice, you're picking the song that's played right there, or you can pick your goal song. The song that they play on the scoreboard is they announcing your name after you scored the goal. And yes, I'm putting um, you on the spot.
1: I feel like the answer to both is probably something by T Pain. Okay. Um there's I I listen to I listen to a lot of Russian music and a lot of uh a lot of that sounds really snobby. I listen to a lot of like post Malone and bad stuff too um okay
0: okay. but
1: but obviously you know i want to be i want to be universal and make sure i pick a song that everybody understands and uh maybe if we're getting super crazy uh i'm trying to think i i gave my friends my ideal walk-up song for me that would be my goal song too and i think it was i think it was dmx actually
0: okay but
1: i believe that nhl arenas are family friendly places so uh, i'll (laughs) Not like T Pain's any better. Yeah, I think I I think I'll go with I think I'll go with a T Pain song, like Bang Bang Pow Pow or something like that. okay. okay. I
0: I had oh, no idea I had I had no idea where you were going to go with that answer. So I was and and we could have said it for twenty minutes and I would not have guessed T Pain.
1: I listen to like when I say I listen to bad music, I listen to really bad music. <laughs> I I do enjoy some good music like. But I feel like, I feel like a day to remember. Bring me the horizon. Dance Gavin Dance. I feel like all of those are bad goal songs. They don't. They don't make goal song music.
0: That's true. That's true. You can
1: make goal song music.
0: So so what's what do you def- what's the good music that you listen to? The quote good music.
1: I feel like that's super subjective. The people who like my my hip hop playlists really hate my punk playlists, and vice versa. Um, <laughs> but I listen to both. I pretty much listen to everything, but like slow croony R and B and soft rock. And I don't listen to a ton of country. Okay.
0: Well, I t- when, uh, the next off season, when we do the uh, second city hockey music discussion series, we will definitely bring you on. We can talk about mid two thousands punk and emo. Cause I know that's a music genre that we both share in common. So that yeah. is,
1: that is a big one. And I would give them as an I would I'd give just about any band as a good one that I listen to, but I like I said I don't think that brand new really uh they don't really tailor make their music for pumping people up in arenas.
0: I think it was NHL two thousand six had or no it had to be earlier than that, but the quiet things that no one ever knows was one in one of the NHL video game soundtracks, and I That's- think i think that's how i found out about brand new actually now that i think about it
1: you know what if if we're going with a with a punk answer like a quality mid-2000s punk band answer
0: yeah that's mainly what i was looking
1: 45 about. 45 by the gaslight anthem i guess i'd use that as my song we'll take it the 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 dj at the coyotes arena plays that song at least once a game for me and it uh it never ceases to make me happy <laughs> perfect perfect answer
0: Okay, well, I can't thank you enough for joining us. It was a great conversation. I enjoy all the insights you shared with us. Thanks so much for joining us, and uh, let the people know where they can find your uh, your work.
1: They can find me at goal Magazine. They can find me at The Athletic. Um, they can usually find me trolling people on Twitter. <laughs> uh, my editors have yelled at me that I, I need to calm that down a little bit. Uh, I need to stop being so mean. We'll see how long that lasts. I'm giving it till the All-Star break before I make comments about John Tavares's proficiency on d and people's wives. um i'll take the under that one got me in trouble um
0: <laughs> oh well
1: but uh yeah they can find me at those places uh they can find me at ep rinkside and i'll be doing some work with a couple of the goalie schools this year i'm gonna be doing some video breakdown stuff so if anybody is in the goalie coaching circuit they can keep an eye on my Twitter and I'll be, I'll be sharing some articles about the different coaching techniques that some of these guys are going to be using this summer. Excellent. Kat, thank you so much. Thank you for having me.